Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Well, with one week to go prior to Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, we thought we'd better talk about what's new and what's been happening, especially in the last two weeks. We begin at Epcot with a look at the new Club Cool and Celebration Shop. The Space 220 restaurant has also opened, should you go see it. Uh, we see statues emerging in all four parks. And in the case of Ho Disney's Hollywood Studios, it may suggest the future of certain attractions. All this happens as Rise of the Resistance moves from a virtual queue to a standby queue in advance of Genie Plus. Over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, Primeval World faces its own extinction while Finding Nemo the Musical is delayed for remodeling. Finally, good news. As Let the Magic Begin Park Opening Ceremony at Cinderella Castle returns on October 1st along with a new float to the Electrical Water Pageant, all in time for Disney's 50th anniversary here at Walt Disney World. So we got a lot to talk about, and my apologies for not talking about some of these things sooner, but with the Disneyland trip last week, and I wanted to do a couple of reports on my initial experience at Disneyland, I promise my next podcast will be about Avengers Campus, because, oh my goodness, there's so much to talk about there. And then we're going to have a preparatory podcast in uh, in getting ready for the 50th, and then hopefully... We'll be there on October 1st for the 50th. More to come on that for sure. But at any rate, let's get caught up with so many, so many interesting things. I wanted to give you my insights, particularly at Epcot. And by the way, make sure you check out DisneyAtPlay.com. Subscribe there if you would, so you'll be notified of upcoming podcasts. Um, we um we have particularly videos of Club Cool and of the new Creation Shop. So you definitely want to check that out. And you may want to go to J. Jeff Cobra and also subscribe to that so you get new videos as we send out several new ones every week. Okay, so let's move to Club Cool. You remember Club Cool. Free Coke, right? Free sodas. And all of that was available as you walk down the core of Future World and as you turn toward the right, that was always available there. Now, if you've paid attention to our Disney at Work podcast, I've probably mentioned on a couple of occasions that Disney thinks in terms of people who are right-handed because that's the majority of people. And so they tend to move toward the right as they enter the park and they look for products and services as they move to the right. So, hey, that made a lot of sense to put Club Cool there, right on the right side as you were passing through Future World. But that building's gone. I mean, it's really gone. Demolished in its place. Uh, in fact, that whole wing of Innoventions West has completely been demolished. In its place, Moana kind of takes uh, the place of more of toward the Innoventions West North Side and a new pavilion that was intended to really um, handle um, guests and give an elevated view of the park was intended for the section where Club Cool was. So they had to move Club Cool. Well, where did they move it to? 
that became the riddle in my mind and it's still the riddle as it has opened because now we know where it is but it's not quite sure if that really makes sense yet where it has moved is to the breezeway in between in what was interventions um east in other words it's taken over a corner of what was once mouse gears and it faces what once was the electric umbrella. Now the electric umbrella is being redone to being, I think a much larger um, casual dining space. So that's still very much on its way. Um, what is the problem with this location? Well, again, if guests are moving through the core of that part of the park, they're not even going to see Club Cool unless they take a left and they move toward Test Track or Mission Space. And mind you, um, uh, even in those scenarios, most people are dead set on moving toward that attraction, those attractions, and they're not going to be occupied. They want to get be first in line, right? It's that kind of mentality going on. So it's a riddle to me why you would put it in this space. At the end of the day, people may pass by it somewhat on the right or as they exit the park, but my guess is that Club Cool will be pretty much uh, probably closed by the time most people pass through, which will be after Harmonious is over. So again, the location is just a riddle to me. The only thing that makes sense about this location is that with construction and with the removal of the entire center of that front part of the park, they opened up both the, the left side and the right side as you came in. So you could come in from behind uh, the Living Seas or from behind or adjacent to what was Universe of Energy, which now becomes Guardians of the Galaxy. If they keep those spaces open, because before what was happening is they were forcing you into the center by the fountains and then to diverge right or left into future world east or west. If they keep that partition open, which they may very well, I think it's actually improved the flow and the number of guests going to the living seas because it's just immediately to the right. When you had to enter from the center of the park you then had to kind of almost make a U-turn to go to um, Living Seas, and I think it kind of moved it out of its way of of, 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 of being present in the minds of guests as they came into the park. So if they keep those little avenues open, which also, by the way, for um, Mission Space kind of makes sense because they're going to need all that space to fill up for queuing. So if they keep that venue open, then in truth, as people kind of come up on that side of what was Future World East, then Club Cool will be to the right. I know this is seemingly a long uh, discussion about, about where this goes, but I also thought it was quite interesting because I know I can see people once the new dining venue opens at... Uh, what was Electric Umbrella? People, people will go over to Club Cool, grab a grab their little free sodas, you know, maybe two cups worth, and, and then come back over to, and then not order the soda um, at the chaos. Uh, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I I just I it is it is interesting the 
the location they chose for Club Cool. Notwithstanding, people were excited to come back the night I went, which was last Saturday night. Uh, lines, long lines. We waited in line for about 10, 15 minutes to get in because uh, they were st- they were making sure that there weren't too many people. You had one party at each uh, little set of, um, of uh, dispensers. And uh, so it was actually much longer to get in and out. But um, the, the space is nice. It's very open. It's very contemporary. Um, we'll see how sticky the floor gets. What I did really love was some of the new flavors. Yes, your Beverly Italy palate cleanser thing is still there. But there were some very cool new ones. I liked, I prefer a non-carbonated soda. And it that really came in the form of um, Korea's Joy uh, uh, drink, I, which is a Minute Maid kind of variation. Loved that. Uh, but there were some others that were really quite interesting. From Russia came what was called Sprite, but it was Sprite with cucumber. And you know, I'm not a big cucumber person, but that was kind of a, that was kind of interesting. That was kind of different. But nothing was more different than China's. I'm not even sure what they called the soda spree. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I got the title right. But imagine that you carbonated barbecue sauce. <laughs> because I swear that's what it tasted like. It was totally, it was totally crazy. In fact, actually, if you could get that soda, it would be the perfect thing to marinate uh, marinate uh, spare ribs with. So, um, Club Cool is just that. It's it's kind of, it. it I'm glad it's back. Um, question whether its location makes sense, but I'm really glad it's back. Adjacent to it is the new creation shop. And um, I got to tell you, that was that was a solid hit on many levels. First off, they really opened up the windows so that more light could go, go in and they added more lighting inside. In fact, I was I wasn't there during the day. I was there at night. Um, there are multiple. There are more entrances than what seemed like there was before. There was, um, uh, let me see, one on Future World East, and then coming around the other side, two, three, four, five entrances. Maybe there were. I think there were four before. So more entrances into the shop. More weight, which is a little problematic. And by the way, again, got a YouTube video of all this. One of the challenges is is that they introduced in the temporary mouse gear location, which I think is going to come become part of uh, what was Electric Umbrella and expanding that space. But they opened up. Um, they they started the process of a mobile uh, shopping and using your app to shop and having a clear bag. And the only th- the only thing they did is that they kind of looked at your purchase before you left. Well, now they got more doors to leave. And while I saw a checkpoints on the north and south ends of the shop, I didn't see them at other locations. So I'm sure they're trying to gra- grapple with that uh, little challenge. But let me talk about um, the look and feel. First of all, 
before there was Creation Shop, there was Mouse Gears. And Mouse Gears was intended to be a combined experience where you went into a Mickey meet and greet and came out into a massive Mouse Gears gift shop. That Mickey meet and greet never really turned out well. And it, I think easily within six to seven months, they closed that Mickey meet and greet. Most people don't know um, that it existed. But the mouse gear theming continued, including the wand that would turn would whirl around, although a lot of times it was broken. I, it was not an impressive experience as much as I loved seeing the the airship um, of uh, from Journey into Imagination. It just it, it it really wasn't a great layout of space. It was really crazy. Before that was something known as Centorium. Centorium was the original gift shop, you know, Century and Emporium put together, which I thought was a clever title, and I kind of wish they'd come back to it because Creations isn't doing it for me. Um, but um, as a title, but but Centorium, for those of you who remember that far back, that too was bright and airy. So this kind of harkens back to that time period. Um, what was unique about Centorium was, first of all, you kind of stepped down into the gift shop area, which wasn't um, very conducive for guests with wheelchairs. And then they also had a second floor portion. And it seemed to me it was available via both kind of a glass elevator and a um, escalator. But maybe I'm wrong on that. But there, but the more valuable, high-end price items were up on the second floor to as reduce the amount of traffic up there. It was it was a very cool shop. I thought it um, was really nice. I really think this is as much as I would have enjoyed a two-floor model. And certainly the ceilings are high enough that if you had gone back down. By the way, the original Centorium also had connected to it. Um, the place where you, um, oh my gosh, goodness, I forgot it, but, um, you went into this theater in which you were, um, pulled on different topics of the day to include what became the, um, person of the century, which ended up being a flop because everybody put in Walt Disney or some cast member. It just became kind of crazy and bizarre. Um, and never was announced as to who was the person of the century. Electronic, uh, electronic pole, was that the name of the, but actually when um, Mouse Gears came in, they took over that space. So this actually um, is a very large space now. And the only thing that occupies it is, is in the corner is where the Club Cool is. But that actually kind of, because the, the shop is kind of in a curvature on the one end, it kind of evens out the the experience. It's long details that probably you don't care to know about, but know that it's very beautiful. There are, it's flanked on both ends by shopping uh, cashier registers. Um, you know, queues you line up for the next available register. That's on the north and the south end with lots of little tiny merchandise to look like, 
look at. And on both ends, big Mickey Mouse murals. Again, kind of a tribute back to the Mouse Gears. Beautiful, colorful murals that add color to what is essentially a lot of whites and then kind of this teak, teak wood um, uh, ceiling. Um, and then they also added these statues of Mickey Mouse and invited Imagineers at Walt Disney World to each take one and paint it. And they're really, from the close-up views I've had of these, they're pretty impressive. One, um, but the problem is, is the way they're positioned on a shelf, they're too distant and you can't appreciate the detail. So I think that's kind of a miss and I think if they found another place to put that, it might be well. But anyway, two rows of Mickey statues, again on the north and south area. Equally interesting is some great Epcot merchandise. Uh, come with your wallet because it really offers a lot of very cool stuff, very um, very much in alignment with where the theming and look and feel of Epcot is going with their um, fonts and so forth, um, geometric shapes and so forth. It's just really very, very impressive. The Creation Shop is a total winner in my view. And um, definitely you'll be checking it out on your next visit to Epcot. All that said and done, another thing that opened this week is Space 220. With huge crowds, some waiting three, four hours to try to get in or get a reservation. Reservations, uh, they started taking reservations at this point uh, for starting for next week. Um, and initial impressions are not bad on, well, actually, initial impressions are very impressive with the setting of the restaurant. The whole space issue, the way you look out into space, um, the way that uh, astronauts or ships go by, but they're not, um, you could see them kind of through all windows because they've kind of set back, there's kind of a multi level layer to that view. Um, it's very clever from what I have seen of it. I have not been there and I, I can't I can't say I won't go there because I definitely do want to see what this looks like. Um, however, there's some nods by the way to Horizons which used to be in that space more or less. Um, there's kind of a drum that cycles with with kind of vegetables on it very very um very much akin to um the land portion of you know the land sea and space in horizons so, so some really good things going on there the, here's the issue they've created a fixed price menu it's a 50 and something for lunch for an appetizer and um and uh and the lunch uh, the main entree and then 80 and something close to 90 for the and not including tax and tip on all this for what is the for an entree um appetizer and dessert in the evening hours no breakfast yet which would be very cool um a fixed price that's a that's a high price and i'm not seeing anything in the food from the images and the menu described that's saying, oh my gosh, I've got to eat one of those. And honestly, the food needs to be, you know, at a pretty good level for that price. 
The other thing that makes me pause on all of this, again, I'm glad to see another major um, dining location at in the front end of the park. It was needed, especially on that side of the park, there was nothing in terms of fine dining. So this is a great thing. But I just sit there and think, okay, at that price, I could be looking out at the windows of the coral reef and see actual real things as opposed to fake things looking out a window and paying twice the price at um, Space 220. And while people have dissed uh, the food at Coral Reef, I've eaten twice over the last six, eight months, and both meals were terrific. They were great, uh, enjoyable meals. And so, so there's a part, part of me that says, uh, if you only got so many meals to eat, why would you pay twice as much for something that's fake when you could have something that's real for half the price? So that's a head scratcher for me, but definitely I do want to check it out at some point and hope to, hope to get there. Now, we're not just uh, seeing Epcot today. We have a lot to cover and we are actually going to all four parks. Disney's Hollywood Studios this week removed the virtual queue temporarily, according to the verbiage and on the Disney site, removed the virtual queue for Rise of the Resistance and started a standby line, which I came and visited yesterday at the studios. I got there around one o'clock and found that the uh, actually, it was probably closer to about 12, 12.30, and found that the line was about 80 minutes in length. Uh, a few minutes later, it dropped to 75, and then about a half hour, 45 minutes later, it went to 125. I talked to um, one of the hosts at the entrance. I said, what's been the longest wait time so far? She said it went to 225 minutes at the beginning of the day. And indeed, pictures on other sites show a massive crowd of people, similar to the old days when Rise first opened and there, or before that when Galaxy's Edge opened and there was only Smuggler's Run and you saw this massive number of people all uh, there early. Um, Unless you are at the front of the line, which will require starting on October 1st, that you be um, staying at a Walt Disney World resort because each park will allow Walt Disney World guests. This is kind of similar to the Tokyo Disney a concept, although it's only 15 minutes early there. But they give a head start. It's not kind of having space to your own time in the park, but it's kind of a head start to... Um, to guests staying on Walt Disney World property, unless you're at the beginning of that, um, I would say you're going to want to kind of monitor the line because I think if you've never been on Rise of the Resistance, even three and a half, closing in on four hours, I'm not sure that I would wait for that. And I certainly wouldn't wait if, on it if I returned. Now, 80 minutes? For the first time, absolutely, get in line. And if I was returning, um, if it was under 60 minutes, 
I and I had only gone once or maybe twice, I'd definitely get in that line. It's so worth it visiting. If I'd been on it at least once, I'd also probably just go at the very end of the day, two minutes before closing, get in line. Because all those people who are going to be paying that premium to get into that attraction will not be allowed after the park closes. So that line's going to move a whole lot faster. And, and indeed, the line is going to get longer before it gets shorter because of that introduction that comes as part of Genie Plus. Yeah, so be aware of that. Just monitor the wait times. Know that unless you stay on property, it's not going to be to your advantage to get there early. Um, it will have already gotten very long by the time you got there. Uh, while I was there at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I had a chance to uh, snap some pictures of the different 50th anniversary statues. Um, and I've seen them already at um, the Magic Kingdom, and I'll, I'll, pro I'll do more on this next week. But I did include those photos uh, in this. Um, I did include these photos because I think it tells us something a little bit about park priorities. Um, the first set is are the droids from Star Wars. Um, um, and BB-8 and R2-D2 specifically. And they're very cute, by the way. There isn't a statue here that isn't really cute. Notwithstanding, um, and they're full size to the scale of what those droids would be. Um, these droids, interestingly, are the only non-Disney Pixar animation, whether that's line drawing or, or CG. These are the only two that aren't pictured, uh, that are, that are, that are, um, that are statues. Everything else is from a Disney Pixar line drawing or CG rendered animation moment so that's interesting um and and given where it was at most all of these were right in the kind of hub area in front of the chinese theater what made this interesting is that um indiana jones is not depicted in any form in these statues now i say that because well most uh, these are animated characters, so it would have been a real person if it had been Indy, and it'd probably been his likeness, and that probably would have required an attorney or two or three or four. So maybe that's why, but at any rate, with Indiana Jones, Epic Stunt Spectacular, and no word of it reopening, that's a flag that there's no memory uh, uh, commemoration of it in this statue set. Meanwhile, there are two of Incredibles, Frozone and Edna, beautiful statues. But you know, the Incredibles area is uh, lacking at best. It actually was opened up, that little area, which used to be the entrance to Toy Story Mania, uh, was Pixar Avenue. <clears throat> but there wasn't anything going on in that space. Even the gift shop or the food and beverage cart wasn't open in that space. So it... it you know, it was interesting they included these, but there's nothing really attached attraction-wise to The Incredibles. Um, there was um, 
a beautiful statue from um, of the of the protagonist in um, Soul playing the piano, and I tell you, this is an incredibly rendered statue because the keyboard just kind of floats in a curved in in a slightly curved style in the air as he plays. It is a re it is probably the best done statue of all of them. Very cool. Here's a telling one. Um, in addition, by the way, there is um, um, Woody and Jesse for Toy Story Land. Got that. There was also Flounder and Sebastian for The Little Mermaid. But The Voyage of the Little Mermaid show has not reopened. And the attraction waiting signage has been removed. Not surprising because, again, the whole thing was going to um, Lightning Lane anyway. More interestingly is they've taken down the queue and they've put tables and chairs offering a shaded area, which I really love. But that also kind of suggests this show ain't opening anytime soon. And that too is, is kind of disappointing. Um, so where is this show going? A lot of people don't even care for the show. I think it was a great place to get out of the heat of the day. I think it needed some tender love and care. I think when it opened, it was pretty clever with its use of laser and water um, and light. I, I, I think people easily, and the, and the puppet section is a choreographed piece that is truly, um, truly amazing. By the way, October... Uh, is next month marks a year since Leanza Cornette passed away. If you're not familiar with her, she played not only the original Ariel in Voyage of the Little Mermaid, she afterwards became Miss America and was a very big spokesperson for AIDS um, back in a time, well, that was early 90s when that happened. So, so any rate... Um, yeah, more to see on the Voyage of the Little Mermaid. That one's, that uh, is a show that, um, well, its future sounds a little fishy. Uh, speaking of fish, Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney's Animal Kingdom. It has been announced it will come back, but after a remodeling job. Well, what's the remodeling job? We don't know. Here are a couple of things I think may occur. Some people have conjectured probably this includes um, a removal of a couple of cast members. Definitely they took out at least two at Beauty and the Beast live on stage, which by the way, surprisingly, there is no statue of that that I can think of in the 50th um, collection. Maybe I'm missing that over at Fantasyland. Maybe that is over at Fantasyland. Oh yeah, it is in the form of Cogsworth and Lumiere. They are over in Fantasyland. Notwithstanding, going back to Finding Nemo the Musical, um, which uh, there are statues for that. That's good. Um, they thought that perhaps a couple of cast members might be removed from the show. That might be possible, but I can't see you removing more than two. They already are doing so many different roles in that show and play so have so many responsibilities. That is a cast that stays very active during the show, doing something at any given point. 
So I, I think maybe too, but I don't think that's where the real change is coming. I think the real changes come in first, the backdrops like the mind blast or the fishes swimming by, they were really poorly done as CG. Um, and I would give credit that it was an earlier period of CG, but by then Jurassic Park had come out. They could have done something better CG wise. It was not well done. I think they could do a whole lot better in following the CG look of the original film. That could be a huge opportunity for them. I think also most likely is that Dory and um, Nemo's father um, were doing this aerial stunt during the um, Just Keep Swimming. I wouldn't be surprised if that gets removed. That is, that just brings up your insurance costs a lot more than what probably removing two cast members from the show does. Um, it and and I have been there when there have been problems with that rigging. So I think that probably that will go away too. Will the show's length be condensed? Maybe a little, and especially the case if they take out the Just Keep Swimming, because that was one of the longer segments. Um, remember, it kind of goes into this whole song and but then it go you know comes into the whole um jellyfish it just was a longer segment i could see that being cut out a little bit i think the show comes in at about 35 37 minutes uh, maybe 38 um so it wouldn't hurt if if it got shrunk down by maybe five minutes but i think those are the changes that are probably coming to finding nemo on the musical. Meanwhile, next door, Primeval World, which was closed and announced for some time, is actually now being physically removed. And if you love good Disney Imagineering, you should be cheering this moment on because this was truly one of the most disappointing, ugly, and frankly, unsafe things you could build. Cast members um, unfortunately lost their lives in safety instances with this attraction. A lot of people also um, ended up um, on a stretcher going to the hospital because of the whiplash aspects of this um, attraction. This attraction came out at the t at, in, the, in the aftermath of 9-11. Monies went down. It was almost, it almost marked the end of the Disney decade of the 90s. Um, traffic went down the parks. They needed something to attract people, but they didn't have the money to spend a lot on it. This was their answer to that. While they built the long-term Kilimanjaro Safari, or not Kilimanjaro Safaris, um, Expedition Everest, which took a few years. That was out in 2004. So they needed something in the 2001, 2002 range to kind of keep attracting people. It is the ugliest piece of real estate in the entire, um, in the entire uh, set of Disney parks throughout, um, <clears throat> and I've actually talked about some short-term things. A uh, grass would be better just sitting there uh, as a uh, as a piece of lawn, or a fence in place would be better looking than to keep that attraction. The good news is, is it does free up a little bit of real estate there, and there could be something good coming and I wouldn't mind a Zootopia attraction, although that's a 
big piece of real estate the way they're building it out in Shanghai. So not sure that that is happening. But hey, lots of possibilities. At any rate, Magic and by the way, Animal Kingdom slipped the most in attendance in 2020. So um, there was a 66, well, six, for all intents and purposes, a 67% drop in attendance in 2020. Now, mind you, it had gone from March to mid-July closed, but still um, it had dropped 67% at the Magic Kingdom. Um, at Epcot, it had dropped a little bit more than that, 67.5%. At Disney's Hollywood Studios, it had dropped 68%. Um, but Disney's Animal Kingdom had dropped a full 70% as a result of, uh, of last year. So yeah, you can see that the numbers need a lot of movement. Uh, Ford, and that's why this golden anniversary is so important to rebuilding the attendance in the park. And so therefore we come to the Magic Kingdom where we announced that this week they have stated that beginning October 1st, the Let the Magic Begin um, will return at the opening of the Magic Kingdom. That is the stage show where the fairy godmother comes out and there are there is a declaration made and Mickey and Minnie come out and then a whole bunch of Disney characters come out and a lot of fireworks and everybody heads out to their um, to their rides. A lot of people still miss the train station along with the mayor. Bless his heart. He has passed on. Um, the train station was problematic because the crowds were so tight in that space. People trying to get through the turnstiles. There was nothing to step into. It, um, it allowed operations more time to get things ready on the other side of the train station, but it was problematic to the guest experience. What's going to be interesting is I noted earlier that every park, if you're staying on Disney World property, will be open 30 minutes in advance of the regular guests. Will these guests, and from what we could tell, it's pretty much the whole park will be open to those. So will, how is this going to work? Is this show going to happen before those guests go into the rest of the park? Or as those guests have a chance to go into the rest of the park, is everybody else gathering in front of the castle, then seeing the show and they go? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If you were staying on property, would you stay to see the show instead of heading over to, say, Big Thunder or Splash Mountain to go on a ride? So lots of things to consider there. And then finally, the 50th comes to the Electrical Water Pageant. Uh, that's not a new parade, but let me tell you, this is the pioneer of nighttime parades. This electrical water pageant not only brought night to a completely darkened Seven Seas Lagoon, it, um, it paved the way for what became the original uh, Main Street Electrical Parade, which, by the way, was largely also flat sets, very similar to what you see on the barges. Um, and that gave way to Spectral Magic and um, and other shows, um, nighttime uh, spectacular shows that have continued ever since. What they're going to do is they're going to have a 50th anniversary uh, castle and, and the 50, and that's going to be added to the experience. Hey, I think that's a great little bookend along with the Let the Magic Begin as guests go. Of course, we've got the new fireworks too. Next week, I'll go into detail what is 
the 50th. I'm still waiting for some details on the 50th. For instance, I usually on that day, the 50th, there is some procession ban. On the 25th, they had a huge blowout with Hillary Clinton coming and speaking. And there's all this stuff that happened the morning of the 50th. We still have not heard anything relative to that day. But I will be able to share with you all of the other things that are being offered so you can kind of get a whole sense of if you're coming to the 50th, what am I going to come and see during that time? So look forward to that. We'll, we'll do that before we actually get to the date of the 50th. So lots to come as always. That's why we need your help to make this work. In addition, um, to this podcast channel you listen to and we advise you to subscribe to it please go to disneyatplay.com disneyatwork.com and subscribe to our website that way when new posts and new podcasts come out you can get notice also visit itunes and if you could please this is what i have found is that there is this core group that are consistently and loyally dedicated. And I apologize, I'm not always on the same day, which is like the number one rule in podcasts. So my apologies in advance for that. What I do offer though, is usually two, maybe even three podcasts in a week. And so in order to make that happen, I have to kind of stagger a little. So I apologize for that, but I am trying to expand that beyond this core, wonderful core group and see if we couldn't get a few more. If you go to just iTunes and give me a favorable rating and even possibly a review, that changes all the algorithms, which allows us to get in front of more people when they type in Disney as to what podcast ours comes up a little bit sooner than the other 5,000 before it. So again, the, the littlest podcast that could. So if you could do that, that really does make a difference. By the way, at our videos, which we included several of in this podcast and on our post. You can also go to J. Jeff Cobra on YouTube and subscribe to that because lots of podcasts or lots of videos are coming out all the time. And then finally, uh, consider joining our Patreon group, which is the Wayfinder Society. This is unique. And for as little as a dollar, you get to not only support this podcast. Hey, you're going to get some really cool stuff to be a part of. So check that out again on the website, uh, disneyatplay.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being part of this podcast. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, as Ellen Menken penned it originally, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day, and we'll see you real soon.